new dad jokes for you. I'm pretty excited about this. We're going to intro an episode, my guy. Okay. I just said that right out loud. I didn't think that I I said it out loud. We haven't perfected, like... He was so focused on the dad jokes. So excited. That he couldn't even... Trying to memorize it. He's just like, head down, blinders (laughs) on. (laughs) Got us. Nelson's jokes. What's walking? He's got cards now. Did you memorize them? First one. Okay, well, let, let Rick introduce episode danny how you feeling today buddy feeling real good because we got to hear for another episode of the rick and danny show um i see you're chomping at the bit to tell me something what's going on well a uh special employee at the beaches office gave me a whole stack of dad jokes i'm pretty excited about it pretty excited to share some of these dad jokes with you rick i know it's been a little while since i was able to now let me ask you a question yeah personal question when they give you these cards of dad jokes, do you take that as a sign of love because they care about you enough to get you these? Or is it a sign of sadness because they're like, wow, your jokes have been so bad. Here's some material to mm. supply you with for the next time you have to do the dad jokes. Where where do you fall? How does that make you feel? I never thought of it that latter way, Rick. Um, made me a little sad to think about that. But... Love you, Danny. But no, I take it. I take Love it former you, way okay. as a compliment, and so I would take it too. You know just, that they they love us. They love the show. They want to contribute uh, to these wonderful dad jokes that we provide. I would take it as the nicer way too. I just like to stir the pot. You've given him a complex now. Thanks for that. No, no, no. I don't think that was me. All right, first one. Here we go, Rick. Okay. What did the pirate say on his 80th birthday? I don't know. I matey. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. Not because of the punchline, but because of the delivery. It's a 10 out of 10. That was a 10 out of 10 delivery. I'm so upset. I've never been so upset that we don't have video on right now. <laughs> Danny trying to hold in the laugh. The, the I'm not good at that, by the way. I'm not good at that. Excitement across the table. That was a 10 out of 10 delivery. Really... Thank you. Number two, you ready for it? <laughs> Hit me, dog. I think you'll appreciate this one. Okay. This one. Um, did you know that dogs can't... Dogs. Go, dogs! <laughs> All right. I, I got to start this over. Yeah, I'll, I, think, I got a quick tangent. Yeah, please. So, I need you to ask about this, if this is true or not. So I saw something on X now about Georgia, this Georgia message board. (laughs) This guy was basically like, they need to not allow kids and women into Georgia games anymore (laughs) because they're ruining the atmosphere and not like aggressive enough for what they want. And (laughs) so get Thomas's opinion on how he feels about that. And then the other thing I saw or heard about on Georgia message boards is that if you on Georgia football Saturdays, if you walk into a church on Saturday in Georgia and you're not met with a resounding, (laughs) then it's not the right church for you. Is that just find out if these are factual statements. Look into it. I think the bigger question though was, why do you have so much stuff about Georgia message boards? Mm, that's interesting. Oh, because I follow some of the greatest troll Twitter accounts of all time. There's one I highly recommend. His name is Three Year Letterman. Yep, you you uh, re- you have recommended him. Oh, he's the best because he just he's a Georgia fan and he just trolls everybody and it brings brings so much joy to this person's heart. And that's this person. 
Okay. That's cool. It's hard. That's sorry. cool. It's a hard one. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm ready. You good, Danny? I'm ready. Rushed? I'm ready. Okay. Sorry. Oh, dogs. Did you know, Rick, that dogs can't operate MRI machines? I did not know that. That scan. I get it, but also, like, not. What do you think? I mean, not 10 out of 10, but not bad. I like the pirate one better. The pirate one, yeah. I like that one. Thank they you. were both really good. Thank you. And you bring you bring a lot to this group. Thank you. Thank you. So was it I worth it to wait you. around for that, Lauren? I think it was. The cat scan, I mean, it, it's fitting in with the medical theme, but... Yeah, yeah. Mm. Not as good. Okay. I, really good. I liked it. Nine out of ten. Thank you. If you want to contribute to future dad jokes, you can always email me. Okay. Uh, CSNF account. Open to all kinds of recommendations. Okay. Yeah. Sounds great. I'll definitely email. Or, do, or don't. Please do. Or email ideas i don't know that we can do a whole episode we'll do a Just, quickie yeah episodes. all right we got a couple of now i haven't read these articles rick okay surprising right um, so you're saying you came prepared yeah but you as know prepared as i am as prepared as we were for this recording here you know so anyways that i scheduled three days ago three days ago um but i'm pulling some new england journal journal watch articles mm -hmm. all right so these are coming from all over the place coming from lancet new england journal we'll, we'll get into the details the first one i thought we'd go over was one that incorporated stereotactic ablative radiotherapy and it was looking at adding immunotherapy to stereotactic ablative radiation treatment for early stage non-small cell lung cancer have you come across this rick mm-hmm yeah, we had a trial open here called Pacific Four. Still enrolling? Uh, I think it's filled its enrollment. Right enrollment, there. yeah. So this one uh, got reported in Lancet, uh, phase two study, and they were investigating patients who had inoperable stage one or stage two node negative non-small cell lung cancer. Um, and what they were... Uh, investigating this was an open label study 156 patients patients needed to have uh, non-small cell lung cancer tumor size less than seven centimeters node negative and they were randomized to either sb sabr stereotactive uh, blade of radiotherapy uh, or sabr plus nivolumab which is immunotherapy um, the stereotactic radiation was given at 50 gray in four uh four once daily fractions or they could give it in 70 gray and 10 fractions and is that standard rick it's yeah part of within the general standard of care There's a wide variety of ablative fractionations that that would be part of it nivolumab was given uh intravenously every four weeks which is a standard way you could dose it you can also dose it every two weeks um, and it was given on the same day as the first radiotherapy or first radiation treatment or within 36 hours after the first treatment and done for four cycles. So four, four treatments so over about three to four months, uh, medium follow-up was 33 months and they had event-free survival as their primary endpoint. And in the immunotherapy plus Stereotactic radiation arm, 77% 70, uh, of patients were event-free um, compared to 
It's like right now I just have a bunch of cuts of you saying no. 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 All right, let's wrap up this yes. let's do it. little convo here. So we were going over results of the study. So median follow-up of 33 months, uh, four-year event-free survival uh, was 77% in the arm that received immunotherapy plus stereotactic ablative radiotherapy and 53% in those who just received stereotactic ablative radiotherapy without immunotherapy. There were no grade four or five adverse events, thankfully. I wouldn't expect there to be, but thankfully. There was no grade three pneumonitis, which is good. I, I, I'm actually a little surprised about that, given they included tumors up to about 6.9 centimeters. Yeah. Um, and only eight people discontinued nivolumab over the four cycles. So my thoughts on this, uh, interesting. I... You know, I think that in medically inoperable stage one and two non-small cell lung cancer, um, especially, you know, the way I think about this for stage two patients, like if I have a stage two B, you know, I'm considering giving chemo radiation treatment. Um, you know, you have a Hyler node that's positive. They excluded nodes, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So they excluded nodes in this, but a larger tumor... I don't know. You know, I I haven't really had many of those in my practice yet to have like a five, six centimeter tumor mm -hmm. node negative. Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty yeah, uncommon. Not, scenario. not all the time that you see that. So um, I guess this shows that you could give serotactic ablative radiotherapy to the lung plus immunotherapy and have a pretty good four year event free survival without recurrence, you know, about 20, 25% recurrence roughly. Um, but you know, can you get that authorized by an insurance company to say, I'm going to get four cycles of Opdivo with stereotactic radiotherapy. I'm not sure that that would get approved just based on a phase two study. Um, but it shows, I mean, it actually shows, you know, the high uh, kind of high rate of events. Yeah. What was it? What were the numbers again? Can you remember? 53%. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. Stage one, two node negative. With the ones that did not get event free four year event free survival fifty three percent when the ones that didn't get immunotherapy versus thirty seventy seven yeah that, I mean those numbers don't jive with the phase three data so you're talking about like a 25 percent difference yeah in free I mean, survival if you look at the best SPRT data we have right. with long term follow up you know going out three five even some mm -hmm. seven years eight yeah. years you know you're you're talking usually roughly speaking local recurrence risk is alone is pretty rare right you know, that's like you know less than five percent nodal recurrence um you know usually on the order of somewhere between like 20 25 percent mm -hmm. and then nodal plus distant recurrence meaning they fail anywhere you know those are those roughly speaking in about five years is one in three um, 33 percent based on um more so, yeah, mature long-term data so definitely those, higher those failure rates are higher now that may be due to the fact that they included Large. some larger tumors yeah. I, I don't know specifically obviously right. but right so that that's the only thing i would say is like, other than it, of course not being a phase three but the main thing being you know i don't know if those historically the numbers mm -hmm. on the nivolumab arm are kind of more what i would expect with just radiation alone but i think it's definitely worth pursuing in a bigger trial. I mean, I think there's enough 
preclinical data, relatively clinical data that you would yeah. consider it, um, you know, thinking of, especially extrapolating from, you know, we give chemo and larger tumors after surgery, things like that. We know there's yeah. data for, so, yeah, you know, you could make some yeah. similar arguments, but I think Pacific four should be the best test. Cause I think, believe that's going to be a phase three, mm-hmm. um, lots of patients and they're stratifying by tumor sizes too. So mm-hmm. we'll get a breakdown of Maybe it only benefits the really big tumors and doesn't benefit the smaller tumors. Is that squamous cell and adenos? Mm-hmm. Yep. Both. Yeah. And then I think the other thing too is, you know, um, did they look at driver mutations in these? Right. Did they do any of that? And to your point, for larger tumors, especially node positive tumors, you know, we would, if the patient can handle it, you know, chemo RT, I think maybe a preferred modality versus mm-hmm. SBRT. Um so I think those are, those are kind of the, my initial thoughts about right. it. Um, you know, the down the other thing though with the chemo is a lot of times some of these patients we're getting to do radiation, mm-hmm. some of them aren't even chemo candidates and not obviously right. surgical candidates. So sometimes you're right. just kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. But they may be immunotherapy candidates, but not chemo right. traditional chemo candidates. And the Adora trial um, for adjuvant, after well, so. We don't have, we have adjuvant data postoperatively. We don't have post chemo RT or post radiation data on uh, giving targeted therapy like, like EGFR inhibition, but that, that is coming out. At least for chemo RT, it's going to come out, I think, for the stage three patients. Yeah. I mean, I, I would um, imagine it would be similar to the results in right. Adora. Right. Or Adora's postoperative. Uh, but not everyone in Adora received chemo. Um, right. But, and that was a little confounded because I that was the one that they didn't MRI everybody beforehand and yeah um you yeah know, so there were some right some thoughts on that too so that's interesting yeah no it's a good I mean it's yeah I think th- I think this route of treatment is certainly worth testing more but I but I agree with you in that I would not routinely recommend it in practice at the moment yeah. Yeah, I wonder what the breakdown in, you know, the grading of the tumors, how many were squamous versus adenos, et cetera, and how big were the tumors and the breakdown of the sizes. So, you know, if I had the full article, I could tell you that, but I don't. So we'll move on. <laughs> Let's see what else we can find real quick here. Uh, oh, I actually talked to... Dr. Sugarman about this. This was kind of interesting. Get your thoughts on it. All right. Um, all right. So this was another article, Rick, reported in the Journal of Clinical Oncology in August. And um, I don't have the full article in front of me. I have just kind of some salient points here that we can review. Um, this was a Canadian study, it looks like, um, randomized trial comparing <clears throat> FDG PET-CT scans to conventional staging scans, which would be uh, CT and bone scan, in 369 patients with clinical stage 3 or stage 2B uh, breast cancer, uh, who were being considered for curative intent therapy, including surgery, radiation, and systemic what, therapy. What was the conventional imaging again? Bone scan and CT chest, abdomen, and pelvis. Got it. 
So due to concerns regarding PET's avidity for lobular cancers, only ductal carcinomas were included. That makes sense. Yeah. So overall, 23% of patients in the PET-CT arm were upstaged to stage 4 disease compared to 11% in the conventional arm. Uh, absolute difference of 12.3%, which was statistically significant. Uh, the, the, as a result, treatment was changed in 81.3% of upstaged patients in the PET-CT arm and 95.2% of patients in the conventional arm. That was kind of interesting. I don't know uh, the, the total rationale for that, because I would imagine you upstage to stage four. Why, why wouldn't you have an, I mean, other than people refusing therapies potentially, or, you know, maybe it was your, like your low volume oligometastatic. Right. And they said, well, we still want to be proceed with definitive treatment to the right. breast. And, exactly. Yeah. Which we know the data is a little murky on that. Correct. So, um, PET-CT detected more distant metastases than conventional staging. Again, conventional was CT, chest, abdomen, and pelvis, and bone scan imaging. Um, and fewer patients in the PET-CT arm received combined modality therapy. All right. So the summary here is results indicate that PET-CT is more likely to identify sites of distant disease than conventional imaging, leading to radical a radical change in the therapeutic approach and goals of care in a significant fraction of patients. Remember, absolute difference in detecting metastatic disease was 12.3% of people. A key question left unanswered is whether um, preferentially employing PET-CT adds clinical utility. Um, do patients who have indolent distant disease uh, identified have equal or better outcomes than those who have indolent disease not identified? So, um, and that, I mean, that's a whole question, too, of imaging people and when do you find recurrence and metastases? Does it matter? Does it actually impact survival? There are some studies that show that doing more surveillance imaging and detecting metastases early don't necessarily lead to improved survival. So versus waiting till they're symptomatic. Yeah, I mean, I think you have the classic Will Rogers phenomenon where you have a better screening test. Mm -hmm. so there's going to be stage migration. Right. So everyone's outcomes are improved, right? Because the stage three outcomes are improved because you're mm -hmm. better selecting people who are really stage three if their pet's negative. Right. right. Versus maybe in the past having people who had microscopic or macroscopic metastatic disease. Yeah. Conversely, stage four outcomes will be better because people who formerly were stage three are now moving into stage four with better. So it's mm -hmm. some part of the reason the outcomes get better with better detection imaging is there's some right. you have that stage migration there um so i think from that standpoint it's interesting but the more salient point if you're the patient is if the pet's positive should it change what you would do mm -hmm. um i think you know as it comes down to the individual patient versus what's best for the pop on a population level mm -hmm. sometimes those two things aren't you know because of cost and things of PET scans, you know, right. they may not may may not make economical sense to get every breast cancer patient a PET. But on the individual patient level, I think it's nice to have that data. You can make yeah. more informed decisions. Um, but no, I agree. There's still teasing out who it matters in and who it doesn't is going to be a challenge. Yeah, I don't think this can be, and I I doubt 
NCCN guidelines will change, but I think in our practice, we tend to order PET CT scans in stage three breast cancer mm -hmm. patients. Um, maybe those with less resources would, would not choose PET CT, especially if a patient has to travel a long distance to do a PET CT scan. And if you have CT scans available, bone scans available at your institution. But now, nowadays, if you have a bone scan like, capability, that's like, pretty ubiquitous. <laughs> right. Days, yeah. So it's, yeah, I, I mean, I think we're, we're doing that in practice stage two B patients. I think, you know, I think most of our patients are, are getting PET CTs in this setting already. So I don't think it's changing what we do in this practice, but. Do you run into insurance pushback often on those patients? I have not. Dr. Sugarman has a, a bigger group of patients, you know, who she treats for breast cancer, but I have not run into issues. So curious. I, I do find it interesting though, breast being one of the cancers. And again, it's, it's a heterogeneous disease, but you know, whereas lung cancer and, and other types of solid malignancies, we sometimes try to treat to cure, even, even if that chance is low with oligometastatic disease, but doing that in breast hasn't really proven to be uh, a curable strategy. Yeah, it's interesting because the biology of some of the breast cancers that are on these studies are actually the more indolent biologies, mm -hmm. right? So the right. patients do really well, right. but being aggressive with local therapy doesn't seem to impact the ultimate disease course. It makes you wonder, is mm -hmm. it, because the, the, the lesions that are always treated do well. Right. So the question is, is it because it's such an indolent biology? Is it mm -hmm. just that these women have, they're sort of circulating tumor cells either in their marrow or in their blood, like at all times. And yeah. it's just so indolent that it's not exploding. Right. But they're kind of already have seeded all these other areas and we're just not catching it at the point they're mm -hmm. oligometastatic, you know, versus... Lung cancer, which in you know obviously there's different biologies, but tends to be a little more to right. kind of blossom, or you don't. Right. Just you know, completely just. Yeah. Hypothetical. I have no idea if that's the reason why, but it makes right. you wonder because the outcomes for these patients are you know usually really good. They live right. a long live a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, some can be controlled for years and years and years. You know. But you would think you would think that, that would you would think that would mean the local therapy would help, but right. in, but in breast cancer the data is not panned out. That kind of it goes to the point where um, I forgot if it was called the Sonia study. Remember, I think it just got reported in ASCO, randomized people to starting with AI, their metastatic hormone receptor positive breast cancer, AI versus starting the CD4K mm -hmm. up front with AI, um, and and then second line. Mm. Uh, full restaurant in the uh, if you failed CD4K and if you failed AI, you go to the CD4K. So using CD4K uh, or CDK46 yeah. in the first line versus second line, uh, progression free survival was the same. Right. And overall survival seemed to be the same. Right. So, you kind of to your point in breast cancer, going aggressive up front with a with a you know higher toxicity treatment isn't improving long-term outcomes. Initial outcomes, I mean, tumor reduction is is more with those therapies, but you're not you're not getting a longer life because of that, right? You know, you're not seeing improved outcomes. So that's interesting. And I, I don't actually know, I haven't heard from enough people whether that's actually changing people's practice or not to, you know, you, you get diagnosed with metastatic ER positive breast cancer, start with an AI. I mean, the data seems to show that 
you're not at any disadvantage to right. getting it in the second line. And your quality of life will be better for longer. Yeah. Especially if you're, a, and, and the point would be if you're asymptomatic from your metastases. Right. If you have debilitating bone pain, you're not going to just start an AI. In my opinion, you'll start more aggressive treatment. But, um, Don't forget your friendly palliative radiation folks yes, in that situation. Yes. And the other thing that's, that's, you know, doesn't make a whole lot of sense, although I've, I've looked into it a little bit, is all these CDK4-6 inhibitors, there's three of them, and some seem to be more beneficial than others. And then the initial data didn't suggest that, but now that overall survival data is coming out and adjuvant data is coming out. And the way it works is it just kind of arrests the cell cycle right. in yeah. allegedly a more sensitive phase. So apparently there's CDK4 and CDK6 that kind of regulate the cell cycle through cyclin uh, D, cyclin D1. And by inhibiting that, you're inhibiting cells cell cycle and if you have more of cdk4 inhibition it's actually better at least that's what they think so that's why they think some of the um the oral agents have more for is it, is it do the is the mechanism action of the way it's actually killing the cancer cells is just preventing mitosis right or does it is it work because it puts the cancer cells in a state that's more sensitive to another therapy or is it the actual stopping of the cell cycle i think it's the stopping of the cell cycle that's interesting right because you would it would arrest it in s1 mm -hmm. presumably mm -hmm. but that's also the phase of the cell cycle that's least sensitive to most resistant to things like radiation or yeah. other chemos right so it's right. very you know yeah you can play this game of like mechanistically you know what works what doesn't right because obviously, you know, like alkylating agents and stuff work in the more in the S phase, you know, my actual mitotic phase mm -hmm. versus if you arrest the cell in S1, are you creating clones that are, yeah, I don't know. It's, you know, yeah. theoretic. It's just, yeah, that's interesting. Well, people yeah. smarter than me will hopefully figure that out. And, and more time to learn about it. And Brent is asleep. I woke up just into it. So I think, I think that means we've... We've nailed this episode yes. if we Pretty put good. Brenna to sleep. Yep. Um, but thank you for bringing those articles in, Danny. I think it's very interesting. Always a pleasure, Rick. Until next time.